places gifts and talents and strengths and purpose in your life all of us the things that I see are going on now in the way that God is working in my life and through my life the all this these things were already there when I was younger but like the son who gets lost in this parable I had all these gifts but I wanted to do what I wanted to do outside of the father You have a unique life story filled with events and encounters with people that have helped define you. But there are also personal choices in your story that play a significant role in the person you are now. Today, you get to hear a story of a young man who chose to turn away from a good family and life to pursue his own desires. And you'll learn that this story mirrors Pastor Daniel's own testimony of how God got a hold of his life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Luke, chapter 15, as he begins his message, Coming Home. So each one of us has a story, and I think one of the keys of life is trying to realize that even in the midst of our individual stories, God wants to write a story, and When we allow Jesus to be the center of our lives, he begins to show us how every detail of that story was necessary. But until you allow Jesus to show you that, a lot of life just hurts a lot. A lot of things that go on just doesn't make any sense. And when I look at my story, I'm so grateful that I get to tell my story not as I experienced it, but how Jesus has shown it to me. I mean, I experienced it myself, but Jesus has this amazing way of retelling our stories with other details that you didn't realize. So I've always said that, and I've heard it said, that a biography is a story where there's someone who's the center of the story, and a testimony is a story where Jesus is the center. And the last thing I would ever want to do is to tell a story where I'm the center, because There's enough biographies in the world. So I want to tell my story with Jesus at the center of my story. And so in order to do that, I actually want to read you, I'm going to mirror my story off of a very famous passage. And so I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to tell the story of the, what we know as the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. But oftentimes we don't realize that this story, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, is actually in the midst of three parables, one of a lost sheep, one of a lost coin, and then the lost son. And really the whole point of Luke chapter 15 and also Luke chapter 16 is that Jesus is fighting, well actually Jesus isn't fighting, the Pharisees are fighting with Jesus about who Jesus likes to spend time with. And really the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son is actually a story that Jesus is telling to the religious leaders because they don't realize that God's kingdom isn't just for religious people. That the people that they look down upon are the very people that God is interested in. 
And I chose that for a reason as well, because by the time we get towards the end of the present day part of God's story in my life, I end up oftentimes feeling like I'm in trouble with the real religious people because I don't look like a good religious pastor. It was funny, I was just talking to one of the guys on our, who serves on our safety team, and he told me a story, he met a guy, and the guy, they started talking, and he was wearing a hat, and, and the guy said, where's that hat from? He's like, oh, well, you know, from Crossroads. Like, I used to go to Crossroads before they hired that hippie, you know, <laughs> which I just love that, you know, some of you are right now are like, dude, so, so but, but. All this weaves into the story here. So it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, And he said, speaking of Jesus, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living or excessive living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? So this story tells a story of a man with these two sons. Now, what's interesting is that the younger of the sons, he says, can you give me my portion of your inheritance? He's saying, I want what will come to me when you're gone, but I want it now. Right? And so this was something that was supposed to be this young man's. It was his inheritance. But he wanted all the gifts without having to have a relationship with his father. And the father was gracious enough to give him all the gifts. And the guy says, well, okay, so I got all now. I'm, gonna, I'm out. And he left and he journeyed into a far country and he began to squander it. Now, I, to me, this is a, a beautiful picture of where my story begins because, you know, in a lot of ways, I've been just extraordinarily blessed. I was born December 31st, 1975. So I'm a twin, too. So my parents started with a double tax deduction. Super stoked about that. I'm the youngest of three Fusco kids. I have an older sister named Trish, who's two years older, and then my twin sister, her name is Jody. So Trish is a teacher, Jody's a lawyer, and I was born into the most loving all Italian North New York family you'd ever have heard of. So, you know, all like, you remember my big fat Greek wedding? If you make it Italian, that's my family. You know what I mean? And it's like, just really, like, I grew up with a million cousins and aunts and uncles. Later to find out most of the aunts and uncles actually weren't family, but they lived at our house like they were a family. You know, and I was raised in what I would call a non-Christian Catholic family, which means we were culturally Catholic, but we didn't talk about Jesus at all other than if you went to church. And most of the time growing up going to church, I liked church in the beginning because my mom mom, if we were good in church, would sneak us a little bit of the bread. Seriously. So she's like, if you're good, I'll give you a snack. You know, it's the body of Jesus of the Catholic Church, you know. And so if we were good, she'd sneak us a little snack. And that was kind of fun for a while until you realize it's just some stale bread. And so, but I remember one of my first memories of going to church. I remember telling my parents that I wanted to be a priest. 
and they just kind of laughed, and and that was it. And so, so although I wasn't raised with Jesus as part of, we never talked about it. There was a Bible that they had, and it stayed in the closet. And we went to church from time to time. I grew up outside of Christ, but incredibly loved. You know, not only by my dad and my mom, you know, uh, but also my mom's parents, my grandma and grandpa, they lived around the corner. So I had like a second set of parents as well. They were like, my grandparents were like the cool parents. So if I got upset with my parents, I'd go to my grandparents' house. And my grandma, you know, uh, because I was her first grandson. So if you know anything about Italian grandmas with their grandsons, that means that I was born with a halo around my head. I've never done anything wrong. If, if my grandma asks you, you say, oh, Danny's perfect, and she'll be like, oh, my Danny, you know? And so I would literally get in trouble with my parents, and I would go to my grandparents' house, and I would complain about my parents, and my grandma would feed me, and she'd feed me more, and she'd talk to me, and, and then my mom would call, is Danny there? And she'd say, No. What'd you do? But I was sitting right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so my grandma, I just got a super sweet place in my heart. Now, I do need to say that I've called myself Danny here from the pulpit many times. Like, I always tell you, the only people who can call me Danny is my wife, my grandma, or if you're coming bearing cannolis. So, but I grew up in a beautiful environment. I was born in New Jersey and raised there. And in a lot of ways, as I came into my teenage years, this story begins to mean something to me because... What I didn't realize at the time is that when you, each one of us is born, God places gifts and talents and strengths and purpose in your life, all of us. The things that I see are going on now in the way that God is working in my life and through my life, all these things were already there when I was younger. But like the son who gets lost in this parable, I had all these gifts, but I wanted to do what I wanted to do outside of the father. I wanted to enjoy all of these gifts without any connection to the father who gave me those gifts. And I think that's a, a common story for people who grow up outside of Christian homes, where you don't realize that God is in trust. Every gift that you have, every talent that you have, everything that you have is on loan. And outside of Christ, you're utilizing those gifts, but outside of a relationship. And so I grew up playing sports a lot. I grew up in theater. My mom was really into theater. So me and my sisters were, we danced and we sang and we did, weren't acted in plays and I played sports. And, and so I, I actually grew up in front of people my whole life. You know, I look at it now. I'm like, wow, that's amazing that that was part of my story. And I see what, as a pastor now, getting to talk with people, it's like some people get horrified getting up in front of people. It's just, I've always been in front of people you know, just from a young age. And so it became very, very natural. And so as I moved into my middle school years and my high school years, I was predominantly playing sports and I was also playing a lot of music. So because of Nikki Six from Motley Crue, I wanted to be a bass player. If you don't know who that is, don't Google it. But but if you know who that is, then you know how that was. Actually, I really wanted to be a drummer, if truth be told. So I actually, my parents always encouraged us in the arts that, you know, my mom did. My dad wasn't really too fond of it. And so I said I wanted to play drums. And my parents said, well, if you take drum lessons for a year, then you can get a drum set. So I, pl- I took drum lessons and I, pl- and I practiced on a little drum pad uh, for a whole year. And then at one year, I said, it's one year. Can I get my drum set? And my mom said, yes, you can. And I got a drum set, and the next day, like, three of my buddies came over our house with amplifiers and stuff. And my mom came home from work, and not only was the house shaking, but the whole neighborhood was shaking. 
my mom said, yeah, you can't be a drummer anymore. <laughs> and so, because she realized that the drummer, the, the bad garage band plays at the drummer's house. And so she's like, yeah, we're not doing that. And so I'm like, well, I can't be a drummer, so I'll be a bass player. And because of my love of Nikki Six from Motley Crue, I got a bass, and the next day I was in two bands. It's a classic bass player story, you know? No one wants to be the bass player, but you got a gig. And so, so I started playing music. By the time I move into high school... I'm doing really well in school. I was uh, pretty popular in school, but I also began to party a lot. Started when I was probably a freshman in high school. Being promiscuous began in middle school for me. So with outside of Jesus, these were just things that you did and how it worked. And so very quickly, as I'm in high school, I'm doing well in school. I'm decently popular. I'm playing varsity baseball my sophomore year. And I'm playing in bands. And very quickly, although I'm, everything's going well, I'm not doing well. I joked on Sunday, I don't run very much except I was running from the police. And I did a lot of that growing up, you know, where it was like we were just into a lot of mischief. I look back on those days now and it was like another lifetime. I just think all the different times that I should have been arrested, that I almost died. I mean, there's all those stories are in my story. And as high school progressed, um, I knew I was going to go to college. My, my parents pretty much told me that school ended when I got a bachelor's degree. So it was never, it was never a question of if I was going to go to college. And so by the time I'm a senior in high school, I end up winning student council president and I won homecoming king. But I had dreadlocks and I wore plaid pants and a Getty shirt to the homecoming <laughs> dance. So I'm not your normal homecoming king. And, yes, yeah, very strange. And, um, and I had dreadlocks and my first head of dreads. And I remember I was really into music. I was playing in a band. I'm not going to say their name, but the band was a wild band, and we would play these huge shows. And, you know, I was at that age. I'm, I'm 18 and, or 17 at the time, and, like, we'd play these shows, and part of the way the promoters would pay us would give us cases of beer, you know, and they say, whatever you do, don't tell them you got it from us, you know, and it was like, it was just a bad scene, and so everything was kind of off the rails, and I get into college, I, I wanted to go to Rutgers University in my native state of New Jersey, it was in, uh, New Brunswick was a funky kind of urban environment, and it, it was really real, I wanted to go to school, and so I get into school, and things went from bad to worse, because it was one thing to be crazy in my parents' house, and it's another thing to be crazy when you're not in your parents' house, and so there was no curfews, and there was no deadline. And so, but I knew that if I kept my grades up, my parents would leave me alone. And so, to be honest with you, I ended up graduating college with honors all four years. Praise, that's by the grace of God, you know. And I was probably only sober for eight months of that time. And I mean, like, sober, like, you know, like, didn't do anything, but everything else was like, like, I would smoke marijuana, like, people smoke cigarettes if you're addicted to cigarettes. And that was my life. And so, but what happened was a number of things happened in the early part of college. You know, I I look at this guy in the story and he's living prodigally. He's living excessively, which is what I was doing. And I remember I said I, I was sober for about eight months because in the beginning of my sophomore year of college, I had a bit of an identity crisis because I was super popular and people were... I had lots of friends and I was playing in a popular band in in college and and all this stuff was going on. But I'm like, you know, I don't think anybody actually likes me. I think they just like me because I'm fun. You know, and so I really started to struggle. Like if I didn't show up, you know, with a ton of drugs or with a fun band or with like an entourage of friends, does anybody really like me? So I decided I wasn't going to do any drugs and see if I had any friends after it was over. You know, and what was really fascinating is that 
what I learned is that the way that I was raised in New Jersey, the people who are the closest to you, they'll be friends for life no matter what you do. You know, and I have some friends who I grew up with who didn't, you know, they're like, yeah, it's like you're kind of boring, but, you know, like we've been at this forever. Let's just keep at it. I'm grateful for those friends. They're friends of mine to this day. You know, and so I decided to, to stop partying and I, and then I began to really focus on music. That became a, a passion. And at the same time, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And so my mother was a larger than life personality. You know, so my mother got cancer and that was kind of a, that rocks, rocked my world pretty strongly. Because I remember I, I, my first head of dreads, I shaved them off because my mom lost all her hair. And so I figured I'd stand in solidarity with mom. You know, so I, I came home one day. My mom never liked the dreads. And she's an Italian mom, so she was real vocal about that. <laughs> you know? And so I remember one day I came home and I had my hat on. I had stuffed newspapers in it. And when I got home, you know, I took my hat off. And she started to cry because she knew you just took, shaved them off because I have no hair. You know, and so it's kind of like, she's like, you look so much better, but she hated it, you know? And, and so, um, so my mom got sick and then I was also just really struggling. And I realized that because I wasn't, I didn't have a spiritual bone in my body. You know, in some ways from the time I was about 15 to about 20, I was like a self-proclaimed hedonist. Like if it felt good, I'm going to do it. You know, but the problem is, is when you live that way, and I think some of you are living that way right now, what you realize is that at some point... It doesn't feel good anymore, but you still do it because it's the only way you know how to live. And I was at that point where I'm just like, you know, this is what I've always done. This is how I've always lived, but this isn't, it doesn't do it for me anymore. Like, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of waking up and just being like, is that all this is? You know, it all felt so superficial and skin deep and, and a waste of time. And I had all these things. And so at that time, I started reading spiritual books that I started reading. Um, because I grew up in a Catholic family, I wasn't going to read about Jesus. I mean, Jesus seemed like the last person that was uh, even remotely relevant to my world. So uh, I started reading a lot about Buddhism. I would read about uh, these people who would go take hallucinogens and go on vision quests. That sounded fascinating to me at the time. You know? <laughs> And uh, I would hang out with Hare Krishnas because they'd give you free vegetarian food. And so um, I became a vegetarian in college um, because I had two, an Italian mom and an Italian grandma, so meatloaf wasn't supposed to look like that. And so I just, I didn't do it for social reasons. I did it for like, I just can't eat food that looks like that in college. So like the meat looked wrong, the, you know, and so I'm just, I'm just not going to eat any of that stuff. And so I really love the fact that the Hare Krishnas gave you free food because I was in college. And so I hung out with all these people and I would be, you know, reading books. And I had two friends who had uh, given their lives to Jesus in that time, weren't really walking strong with the Lord, but were talking about Jesus with me. And I had a, a, a psych professor. I, I had gotten really, really good at sleeping through exams in college. But I also realized that if you would go to the teacher's office hours and if you would uh, talk to them and tell them how grateful you are for what they do and how impacting it is to your life, smooth them a little bit and they'd let you retake the exam. You know, for those of you going to college, I don't recommend sleeping through your exam, but that did work for me. You know, and so I would go and I went to this one professor and, and at all these professors, you know, like, oh, thanks. Yeah, you can take the exam, get in my office, you know, but this one adjunct professor who was a grad student, I know now, even though I didn't hear it from him, he's a believer at the time, I would never have known, but there's something different about him. He was the one person who ever asked me any questions about myself. And he said, I'll never forget. He said to me, he's like, so can I ask you something? He's like, look, so he's like, every time you show up for, to class, you look hammered. 
You know, you sleep through every exam, but then when you take it, you get an A on it. You know, so like, what's your deal? You know, and I'm just like, oh, well, you know, you know, start rambling on and on. And, and I was telling him, he's like, well, you know, and I was reading philosophy and metaphysics and I'm re- I was reading this and that. And I'll never forget. He said to me, he said, well, do you believe Jesus was a spiritual teacher? And I said, yeah, some people believe that. And he's like, well, do you believe the Bible is a spiritual book? I'm like, well, yeah, like people hold that. Yeah. He's like, well, it sounds like you've kind of read everything else. So. I think it'd probably be intellectually dishonest of you not to read the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. It's a professor in Jersey, baby, you know? It's like not playing around. And so I'm like, yeah, I should do that. And so, so that happens. My mom's sickness gets really, really bad, really bad, you know, to the point where she, they gave her a clean bill of health. She went back to work. Six months later, we were sitting at the breakfast table, and all of a sudden, she can't talk, and she can't move her fork, and we're like, oh, no. And she went back in, and it was what was lung cancer and brain tumors became bone cancer and cancer everywhere. And so it got really bad really, really fast. So all this is all happening, and my mom, at the end of her life, she wouldn't fall asleep at night because she was scared she wouldn't wake up in the morning. And so my grandparents moved back in with us to take care of my mom. My dad was working, and you know my grandparents shouldn't be up all night. And so I said, hey, I'm always up all night, so I'm your guy. So I sent my grandparents to bed, and I would sit with my mom, and my mom would doze off, and she would wake up. But there were times when she would ask for me to read the Bible to her. She had gotten her little red Gideon's Bible from the hospital. First time I'd ever seen a Bible out in my house. And I remember reading to my mom, Psalm 23, John 14, you know, John 14, you know, do not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that I will come again. I will receive you to myself that where I am there, you will always be. It's memorized now, but at the time, I just remember reading it to her. And, and I remember when my mother finally passed away after two years, July 3rd, 97. I remember at that point, I just said, if there is a God, he can kiss my butt. That was the way I felt. I was angry. I was just like, this is not how life's supposed to be. And it kind of rocked my world. And all these things together about the beginning of April 1998, Jesus intervened in my life while I was reading my Bible in my apartment, reading Matthew's gospel with a simple prayer. Jesus, if you're real, I'm wide open. Reveal yourself to me. Didn't happen right away. Happened about, I'd been praying that prayer a couple times. I told one of my friends, yeah, that whole prayer thing, ain't nothing to it. God's quiet. But God works on his own timing. Now from there, I get saved. I graduate college and... In a lot of ways, like the prodigal son, like at that moment I realized that my life wasn't my own, that I'd never had an independent day in my life, even though I'd lived an independent life, that everything about my life, I was dependent. Jesus is Pastor Daniel's been sharing his testimony with you today, and it's not one of a perfect follower of Christ, yet God transformed him, and he can transform you as well. If you've been listening today and you're unsure of this idea of Christianity, even of God, do as Pastor Daniel did. Pick up a Bible, start reading, and ask God to show himself to you. The Lord is faithful, and he will reveal his truth and his deep love for you. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue the story of the prodigal son. Much like Pastor Daniel, this young man had turned away from the values of his family. He was doing what made him happy, but the temporary joy it brought ran out fast. Now, this man returns home hoping to live as a servant, taking a lower, more shameful status in the home in which he wants new privilege. But his father has a different plan in mind. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called My Story, His Story. Until then, may God bless.